This is season 12 of the Sustainable Asia podcast, mapping the Asia plastic crisis. I am Bonnie Ao. And I'm Marcy Trent Long. Our team at Sustainable Asia partnered with the Heinrich Boll Foundation and Break Free from Plastic Asia Pacific to produce this series. In the last episode, we introduced the concept of polluter pays. It's this idea gaining traction across Asia that companies using disposable plastic packaging should take responsibility for the waste they create. We also talked about how plastic recycling can be a costly burden for many local governments in Asia, particularly in areas with poor waste collection. In this episode, we want to turn to some of the solutions bubbling up across Asia, specifically those that focus on reducing rather than recycling plastic waste. And one of the forerunners of these ideas, Zero Waste Villages. Zero Waste in the Past was a fringe idea used by Instagram influencers, who were able to fit all of their waste throughout the year into one solitary glass jar, Pretty challenging, but some of those methods that led to almost zero waste do actually work. And nowhere better to start our zero waste stories but on the wealthy island nation of Japan, where the rural village of Kamikatsu can no longer afford the cost of incinerating disposable plastic and other types of waste. So Japan is known for its high recycling rates, but it's not so well known that... Currently, waste, especially the household waste, in Japan, uh, more than 80% of them are incinerated directly. This is Akira Sakano. She founded Zero Waste Japan, which aims to implement zero waste policies and projects throughout Japan. The situation in Japan for rebuilding the incinerator still continues because government funds extending the life of the incinerator instead of investing towards new recycling facilities. Although Japan has been improving its incineration technology, it still doesn't dislodge the fact that it's not a circular solution. Virgin materials from the earth are being used once and then incinerated. And it's really expensive. This is where Akira's role comes into play. She thinks the ultimate solution is reduction. Before she started Zero Waste Japan, she was with Zero Waste Academy, an NGO commissioned by the Municipal Office of Kamikatsu to promote zero waste practices. Kamikatsu is a very small mountainous area, so the number of the population is small, so that the more than half of the population is above 60 years old. Kamikatsu installed two new incinerators in 1998. Then, after just three years, both incinerators were banned by the national government because new legislation required more stringent emissions control of chemical dioxins due to health concerns. So Kamikatsu was forced to find new alternatives other than incineration to manage their trash, including zero-waste methods. It took them 20 years to eventually come to where they are now. I spoke to one of the residents there about their journey. Why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit? Okay, um, so my name is Linda Ding. I was actually born in China, but moved to Canada and the States, grew up there. And then I moved to Kamikatsu in May of 2019. And originally, I came to Kamikatsu because I was on a writing tour. Linda was introduced to the town of Kamikatsu from a book called The Abundance of Less that talks about an environmentalism idea of living with less than more through showcasing profiles of people rejecting city life in favor of a rural existence. Um, so when I read the book, I was just, you know, wow, that I found people who I thought um, 
had similar mindsets and also really cared about not just the environment, you know, but themselves and their place in the world um, and really saw themselves as connected to the universe rather than as something so separate. It was this trip that really inspired her to stay on in this town. During her tour, she stayed at a cafe and there she met her first kamikatsu close friend. Nice to meet you, everyone. My name is Terumi Azuma. I was born and raised in Kamikatsu. Terumi is the owner of Cafe Polestar, a cafe with five zero-waste accreditations under its belt. At university, she studied environmental studies and her research focused on creating sustainable communities like in Kamikatsu. I met Terumi because she was the one who owns a cafe where I'm now, Cafe Polestar. Um, it's the only cafe in the village and this was built by her mother and her. And so she was the one who was cooking for us for the tour, the writing tour. So we had done a couple of events together during the writing tour. My mother worked in the waste management section of our local government. Since my childhood, my mother has always been very passionate about making kamikatsu zero waste. Terumi's late mother, Hitomi Atsuma, was an instrumental figure as the environmental planning director of kamikatsu. She was advocating waste classification and recycling during the early days. My mother was certainly a huge influence, so much so that I might even say she is the reason why I'm living the way I am today. When she first started campaigning for zero waste in Kamikatsu, there were complaints, of course. But amidst the negativity, there were also others who understood and helped promote zero waste. For them, I think the driving force was this motherly feeling, namely that they wanted their children and grandchildren to grow up in the best possible environment. So Terumi also told me that when she was in high school, her mother once said to her that a lot of people from around the world will be visiting Kamikatsu in the future. And from there on, they thought out the details together, such as what kind of cafe they wanted and how to design the cafe building. Following her mother's footsteps, Terumi wanted more people to learn about the idea of zero waste. She started a homestay internship program that transformed her cafe into more like a zero-waste learning center. That was how Terumi and Linda started working together. And then um, by living with her, I started helping her run the program. There were people wanting to come and learn about Kamikatsu. Um, a lot of foreigners as well, but because the village and the town government did not have um, English speakers, so it was very difficult for anybody wanting to learn about zero waste or just wanting to come to Kamikatsu um, to find a connection or to understand how they could go around. And then so by having the internship program, you know, they would live with us and then we would work together in the cafe. The core mission is to provide an opportunity for visitors to learn the zero-waste lifestyle in Kamikatsu. But with the important caveat that, for us, zero-waste is not just about eliminating waste. It is also about the time, energy, and money that each of us has, together with the waste. Moreover, these things contribute to making Kamikatsu a better place. 
The homestay internship program allows visitors to experience exactly what the villagers in Kamikatsu do on a regular basis. Basically, we don't have any kind of central garbage system where there's no truck that is going to go around collecting people's garbage. Every resident is responsible for bringing their own garbage um, to the waste collection center. Um, there's actually 45 different categories at the waste collection center, and so it is the responsibility of each individual to separate their waste according to those categories. Properly, and most of those categories are then recycled. Now, 45 categories may sound daunting, but Linda said many of them are just there for only when you need. For example, there is a category for old tires, old bedding, but paper and plastic are the main categories for waste collection. Plastic is separated into different categories. So we have white styrofoam, for example, is its own category.、Um, but styrofoam that has color on it, then that is another category.、Um, and we have something called clean plastic and dirty plastic. If you don't clean it or wash it properly, then that is dirty plastic, and those are separate categories. And the main difference between those two categories is that how much money it's going to cost the village.、Um, it's almost a 50 times difference between a clean plastic and dirty plastic. And so that means that the more conscientiously people will clean plastic. You know, it'll save the town money. All of this recycling happens at the Gomi Station in the village. So, what does forty-five categories of separation look like? I'm about to give you the tour of Ino Gomi Station. Gomi Station just means the new、um, Gomi Station、uh, or a garbage center that we've built is in the shape of a question mark. The first round part of the question mark is where all the different categories are. So people will drive up there and then they will drop their waste into each different. The categories are set up there. Once the bins get filled up, they're taken to contractors for recycling. And fun fact: there's actually a second-hand store in the Gomi Station called a Kurukuru Store. You can find really amazing things, and all of it's free. And so the idea then is, instead of just going out and buying something right away, if you need something, you know, we'll go check the kuru kuru shop first to see if oh, if someone else has left it, and then you know, it's the whole idea that one man's trash is another man's treasure. And so what we do is any materials that are still usable. So if you have old clothes, for example, or furniture, or anything that is still perfectly fine,、um, then we have a whole shop that people from the village will bring in their stuff that they don't need, and then anybody、um, from the village or outside can come and take it. And the shop it,、um, has been organized to be really beautiful, so it just looks like any kind of antique shop you might walk into. And so the whole idea of zero waste is, you know, first using the things that you have.、Um, And by having a whole community come together, you know the things that you have, is, you know, are endless, right? And then so really, again, it's all about just—it's not about what is waste; it's about your mindset of what is waste. Like, if people don't follow the rules, is there a very strict kind of punishment or something to ensure people would actually follow the recycling system, or are they relying a lot on self-motivation that they be self-disciplined and and really follow the rules? There's a difference between just the recycling system and you know people's mentality towards waste. That is just the way the system is set up there, and that's just the way it is.、Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who's doing that system is going to be super sustainable or super conscious. I mean, that is an individual choice. If someone comes to the、uh, the station and does not separate properly. There's not going to be any kind of penalties, but you are,、um, you know, in a community where everybody sees you and your neighbors know you, and so the and you know the people who work at the at the Gomi Station are also, 
your neighbors and they will know you. And so, so, and you have to go there all the time, right? To get rid of your waste. So it's not like you can just, you know, pretend that that wasn't you if you keep coming back and doing it wrong. Kamikatsu, which had experienced waste problems like many other areas in Japan, has now developed into a gold standard after over two decades of efforts where municipal governments and locals worked hand in hand. Akira Sakano, who we spoke to earlier, was a key part of that effort to reduce Kamikatsu's waste footprint so the town no longer needed a local incinerator. With this success under her belt, a few years ago she founded Zero Waste Japan. So if we are to try to expand the concept of zero waste to all over Japan, do we also need to create different models which could suit better for, for example, urban cities or in different uh, landscape areas? So that's why we decided to work on national scale, but not as a like all over Japan in general, but to create different models specific to different uh, areas and cultures and environments. So that's why we started as a Zeroist Japan to partner with uh, different municipalities in different locations in Japan. On a national level, Japan is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050 and reducing plastic waste by 25% before 2030. I wonder, you know, in your opinion, what kind of systematic change should there be um, in order to achieve uh, zero waste, or at least the, the goal that Japan has committed to by 2050, I believe. First, definitely it's about the budget allocation direction uh, with the 2050 ambition. So currently with the funds or the supports from the national government in terms of incinerator building and the municipality's choices are, of course, directed towards where the budget is allocated. We need to really reallocate the budget going to the incineration, but instead uh, investing more towards uh, recyclers or the reduction of the waste in terms of producers to be invested in such uh, new, uh, new innovations for materials and so on. So Japan has moved forward on zero waste and ambitious national waste reduction goals. The question is, can the Southeast Asian archipelago nations also apply these principles to solve their plastic waste dilemma? So I talked next with Miko Alino from Gaia. Gaia is an alliance of grassroots groups, NGOs and individuals from over 90 countries whose ultimate vision is a just and toxic-free world without incineration. He shared a story about how this Philippine city is also working towards zero waste. So San Fernando is uh, not exactly a village, so it has more than 300,000 people in it. So kind of a, a provincial hub uh, an hour north of uh, Manila. Miko told me about the challenges that San Fernando faced. They have a local dump site that they need to close. So uh, according to national government regulations, uh, cities have to um, phase out or close uh, existing dump sites and transition to sanitary landfills instead. There's an, a landfill uh, that's available, but it's in a way quite far from uh, the city. And bringing waste there is quite costly or expensive. So uh, it's also a challenge for them to in a way, try to reduce cost by reducing the amount of waste that they bring to 
landfills. And, and because of these challenges, they partnered with a, a group here in the Philippines, uh, Mother Earth Foundation, to somehow guide them on uh, transitioning to zero waste. Mm, I see. So, so then, with the help of uh, Mother Earth Foundation, you know, what have they achieved so far? In 2012, yeah, the recycling rate was 12%, but the next year, they, yeah, they decided to partner with uh, Mother Earth Foundation to yeah, introduce zero waste in the city. So they've uh, been doing this uh, ever since, so that would be seven years already. So from the 12%, how much has the recycling rate reduced? So the recycling rate now it's 81% and uh, they're targeting to uh, achieve 91% by 2025. So hopefully they reach that number. I, I think the main milestone for them is they were able to reduce collection spending to just 700,000 US dollars. And uh, if they were to bring all their waste to the landfill, it would have cost them $1.4 million per year. So at least we were able to cut their waste spend, waste collection spending rather by half. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what, uh, aside from that, maybe to reach the 91% or better target, they've put in place a plastic ban. Uh, back in 2015. So far, at least the, the compliance rate among the households and businesses, they're getting at least 85% of their residents are actively participating. They're, they also, in a way, provide um, recognition for waste workers. I, I think this is uh, also important to highlight, making sure that they have uh, regular wages and access to social and health benefits. So it turns out while many countries are resorting to expensive alternatives to tackle its waste problems, maybe the cheaper and yet more sustainable solution is to go zero waste. As ideas like this permeate across Asia, it might be that this region becomes a source of solutions rather than the focal point of plastic waste pollution, especially because Asia traditionally, before the arrival of plastic, had a reduce and reuse culture. Linda Deng summarizes this idea beautifully. There's so many times when you really just look at packaging and you think, I literally use this for one second to open a throwaway. You know, but all of the water, all of the resources, all of the manpower and money that went into making this material was for what, one second of use? You know, and then that's going to now sit here and cause just so much damage into the environment. For, for what? For the convenience of that one second, is that actually worth it? There is no one person on this planet who's not going to be affected when things happen in the planet. And so either we make people uncomfortable and rethink the things that we've always just taken for granted, um, or we just keep taking things for granted until we don't have anything to take for granted anymore. In the next episode, we'll continue to explore other new ideas coming out of Asian countries and cities to tackle this plastic waste crisis. We look at how plastic waste imports and COVID, in a way, helped propel many Asian nations to create plastic waste reduction goals. And finally, we'll also take a more in-depth look at our South Asian neighbors in Pune, India, to see what innovations they are bringing to this decades-old problem of the Asia plastic waste deluge. See you next week. Thank you to our partner, the Heinrich Boll Foundation, for allowing us to use the formidable research behind their new publication, Plastic Atlas Asia. 
Heinrich Boll Foundation is a green think tank from Germany and has more than 30 offices around the world, including Hong Kong. They produce an excellent series of publications including Ocean Atlas, Agricultural Atlas, and a recent publication, Insect Atlas 2020. Also, thanks to the support for this series from Break Free from Plastic Asia-Pacific. Break Free from Plastic is a global movement of 11,000 organizations and individuals worldwide, including Sustainable Asia. And as you can guess from the name, they share a vision of a future that's free from plastic pollution. My name is Marcy Trent Long. Our co-host, producer, and sound engineer is Bonnie Yao. Jiaxing Li is the associate producer. A big thank you to our guests Akira Sakano, Linda Ding, Turumi Asuma, and Miko Alino. And a shout-out to the Sustainable Asia team, including voiceover Stella Chan, contributing editor Jill Baxter, and communications manager Sally Lau. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. <laughs>